1: T.L. Talk Radio, Season 6, Episode 4. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 4 of T.L. Talk Radio. I'm Lynn Funy-Hatton.
2: And I'm Randy Zickenfoos. Today, we're speaking with Richard Rusick and Grayson Moss from The Art of Problem Solving. Richard is the founder of Art of Problem Solving website and co-writer with Sander Lohoski of the original Art of Problem Solving Books. He is co-founder with Sander and Sam Vanderveld of the Mandelbrot competition and is past director of the USA Mathematical Talent Search. He was a participant in National Math Counts, a three-time participant in the Math Olympiad summer program, and a USA Mathematical Olympiad winner in 1989. He received the World Federation of National Mathematics Competitions Paul Erdős Award in 2014 and founded the Art of Problem Solving Initiative, a nonprofit that runs the Bridge to Enter Advanced Mathematics program for high potential students from underserved communities in New York City and Los Angeles. He graduated from Princeton in 1993.
1: And also joining us today is Grayson Moss. Grayson joined the Art of Problem Solving in 2015 and is currently the Chief Communications Officer. He earned his Ph.D. in Sociocultural Anthropology from the University of California, Santa Barbara. His graduate work examined the various factors contributing to underrepresentation in STEM education and in the workforce. Prior to becoming an anthropologist, Grayson earned a B.A. in biology from the University of Pennsylvania during a time when he was considering a career in veterinary medicine. And today, Grayson's responsible for building relationships with national and international school systems, working to get Beast Academy, AOPS's elementary math curriculum, into schools. So welcome, Richard and Grayson. Great to have you today.
3: Thanks for having us. Thank you.
1: So let's get the conversation started with maybe a personal story from each of you about how you got connected to math education and and this art of problem solving.
3: Uh, for me, it started back in, in middle school. Uh, my mom found out about this math competition called Math Counts. It was a new competition way back then. It's still uh, kind of the main launching pad for a lot of the students who are really into math today. Mm-hmm. And in Math Counts, I discovered all this amazing mathematics that I wasn't seeing in my classes saw problems that I couldn't solve, which was kind of scary, (laughs) but also really inspiring. And I saw a lot of other students who were like me that were really excited about this stuff. So I trained all the way through middle school and high school, focusing on these sorts of math competitions that my parents and my teachers would make available to me. And that not only got me into Princeton, but got me through Princeton. It was that specialized training that I had from all these difficult math problems transferred really well to everything I studied in college, whether it was physics, computer science, philosophy, economics, these sort of problem-solving skills transferred. So while I was in college, I started this national math competition that you mentioned earlier. And then through that, uh, Shandor and I decided to write a couple of math textbooks while still in college focused on kids who were preparing for these competitions. So this is just as I'm finishing college, I go off, off to grad school. I leave grad school uh, shortly after starting because I was convinced I wanted to be a high school teacher. And then I found out being a high school teacher, really hard. <laughs> it was so tough. I was 22. I wasn't ready for the, the, the kind of the, the parenting part of being a high school teacher for those students who had kind of tapped out on math and tapped out on learning a little bit for those students who were, who were still very excited about math and excited about learning. I could reach them really well, but for the other students at 22, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for that. So I left, I left teaching high school, went in to find something that was a lot easier. I traded bonds for four years, which was way easier than teaching high school. Mm. Um, and then I left that because I wanted to build something. I wasn't sure what, but the internet had come along. In that time period, so I started building websites and I thought, wait a second, I could build a school online and put up a sign that says this is the kind of math we're going to be doing here. We're going to be doing these challenging problems, these really interesting, beautiful areas of mathematics and let selection bias bring the students to me that I knew that I could serve. And that was 2003. We started our website. We started our online school. And then it has just has just grown from there, as we'll probably talk about as we go. Tell you my story. I'll be uh,
4: as concise as I can. So when I was in graduate school, uh, well, first of all, I've always had a passion for education. The basis of my doctoral dissertation work was also in education as well. And I, I wanted to be a university professor. Uh, and then, you know, after I went through the rigors of doing doctoral research, I thought mm, maybe, maybe I don't have a passion for research quite like I thought. But I always had a passion for teaching, and I still to this day have a burning passion for education as well. And so, as I was finishing up uh, that work in graduate school, I really wanted to, you know, work for an institution, a company, an organization that was doing great work. Uh, But that could also allow me to still really feed that passion for education that I have and wanting to, you know, better educational outcomes for students all over the country and then the world as well. And, uh, you know, there weren't that many places that really kind of checked all the boxes for me. And actually, I was at the tail end of of another uh, recruitment process that was going to bring me to the Bay Area. And uh, I remember seeing, I was still looking because I was in the habit of looking for Looking for jobs at the time, I I saw an a, a job ad for art of problem solving, and it caught my eye. Uh, and I you know dug into the website, and next thing you know, I I looked up and I had been digging around for an hour and a half, two hours, and I was like, um, I'm gonna submit, even though I already have another thing going on. I'm gonna submit my application, just see what happens. Uh, I remember the very the very next day, uh, <laughs> Richard sent me a message and. And said, uh, hey, you know, I got your application materials. I read what you sent. By the way, I sent two chapters of my dissertation. Apparently, he read the whole thing. And so I was like, "Um, all right, (laughs) maybe this is going to be a good place for me. Uh, And I was like, yeah, I have time to chat today. And he said, well, you know, maybe it'll be like 15, 20-minute conversation or something like that. That 15, 20 minutes turned into an hour and a half. Uh, And I I pretty much knew instantly Uh, and, you know, came down for a full-day interview the next day. And you know, was hired uh, shortly thereafter, and the rest is history. And uh, you know, I would say that it's it's just been a tremendous experience because Art of Problem Solving is a very mission-driven company that truly cares about educational outcomes, and uh, that's why we do what we do.
2: So, love those stories, and let's dig into um, the art of problem solving. So, explain to our listeners what is the art of problem solving, and how is your approach to math education? different, and why might our listeners be interested in pursuing it further?
3: So uh, first, talk a little bit about kind of what we're working in response to. If you go back 70, 80 years, being able to just handle the procedures of mathematics, that was enough to guarantee uh, a, a rich career. The very first computers were people. They were not machines. They were people that could do these, these sorts of procedures. Um, Now that's not nearly enough. Anything that's just simply procedures, the machines do all of that. Um, The students that are going to enter the workforce in the future, they're going to need to do a lot more. Most importantly, they're going to need to be able to solve problems they've never seen before because that's what still separates us from the machines, at least for now. They're going to need to be able to develop new tools when when they need them. They're going to need to be able to handle uncertain situations. And that is the approach we take to teaching mathematics, because I don't think of myself as just teaching math. I think of myself as, as training these students to take these very general problem solving skills and apply them to whatever they want to do. And people will ask me, well, I'd be upset if my students all don't become mathematicians. And I'd be really upset if they did all become mathematicians. <laughs> we need these skills. We need these skills everywhere. So the thing is the students, they really love to learn this way. It's That's the way they naturally learn. When they're three, when they're four, this is how they learn. They encounter everything is difficult because, you know, they're three or four and they're fearless. They keep going at things. They may quit briefly, but they haven't learned yet to quit forever. So they keep coming back. And then through elementary school math classes, we train this resilience out of kids by focusing on strictly the procedure. The procedures are important. Don't get me wrong but by making everything in math class be about getting it exactly right. We train them in that space. We train them not to be fearless. We train them to fear being wrong. Uh, We train them not to question. We train them not to say, I don't know. And these are extremely important skills. You have to be able to say, I don't know. You have to be able to fail. You have to be able to ask questions when you need help. You have to be able to go out and seek these intellectual challenges because that's where all the good stuff is. And that's another thing that kids really respond to is the beauty of mathematics. There's a lot of beauty out there, and we hide it. We hide it behind multiplication tables, mm-hmm. doing the same problem over and over and over again. If you can instead show kids more challenging, intricate problems where they don't just have to do the same thing over and over again, they'll actually practice much more multiplication if you can embed it in a puzzle and or you know, Im- embedded in a creative problem. We have a guy here who is a world puzzle champion and as good as he is at solving puzzles, he's better at creating them. Mm-hmm. So we make these really clever puzzles where the kids think they're playing a game, but they're practicing multiplication and way more important, they're doing these higher order skills. They look at this weird puzzle and they think, what's going on here? Where do we start? And that's the key there. Where do we start? Whenever you have a problem where you're thinking, where do I start with this? That's where you know you're starting to do some good stuff it takes training to be able to handle that, to be able to, to fight back that initial fear and figure out, well, maybe if I try this, maybe if I try this, and you can see it in kids, they'll try things, they'll mess around when they're little, and you can see them start to lose this as they get older, they stop being willing to try things. And that's when you know you've got to step in and try to find a way to get that back in kids. If you show them something new and they immediately stop instead of just messing around or playing with it.
1: As you're talking, I'm making connections to my my son is um, a junior in high school taking calculus, and we happened to be in the car on the way home yesterday talking about it. And you know, I was asking, well, isn't it isn't it difficult? And you know, like, what are you what are you actually learning about right now? And he said, you know, she's just a really good teacher, and it's really interesting, and it's really not hard. Now we'll see <laughs> we'll see what his grade comes back at. But I thought. Wow, like he's interested, and he's telling me calculus is not difficult. And you know, I'm resonating with what you're saying. She's obviously making it interesting and in building the, building the, um, mystery and sort of excitement and problem solving as opposed to just procedures.
3: Sounds like he's fortunate to have a, have a good teacher there. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's interesting. So let's talk about some of the courses that you offer, and um, you know, how do the courses work, and how do those learning experiences actually work for the students with whom you work.
3: Uh, So we have a couple different types of, well, we have several different types of delivery mechanisms because the kids, they all learn in very different ways. So that's one of the things we learned very early on is you have to go where the kids are. So we deliver our materials in a lot of different, in a lot of different media. So we have books, we have videos, we have different online delivery systems. In elementary school, we have a learning system where uh, the kids will have access to online versions of our books. They'll have these interactive puzzles and problem sets There are videos there as well, and we're continuing to build more and more into that. Our middle and high school, our online school, um, the kids will get online. There are two types of classes. One, where the kids all get online at the same time um, with a group of teachers, a main instructor and some assistants, and the teachers lead them through a conversation about mathematics. And this this is a good example of kind of how we teach mathematics in general is the teacher doesn't do a whole lot of telling. The teacher does a whole lot of asking. So the teacher asks a question and the way our classroom is structured, all the kids can answer. The answers come to the teacher. The kids are typing, not speaking. All the answers come to the teacher. So the kids stay engaged. It's not one kid is talking and the rest of them just sit there and stare out the window or play video games or something. They're all sending, they're all talking. The teacher can see what all the students are thinking. So if a student starts to get a little lost, the teachers can see that and can assistants can reach in and engage. And then after the students have worked through by these guiding questions, then the teacher summarizes and then they move on to the next step in the conversation. Then separate from that for kids who who can't make the times of our regular classes, or maybe the pace of our regular classes is too fast or too slow, we have a self paced option in which we have uh, simulated conversations where we have an automated system that is asking, walking the kids through these asking them questions and the kids are responding. Um, So these are two online systems and then we also have, uh, we also have learning centers around the country where we have classes on the ground. And we're also working with schools to embed these systems, the, the elementary school system uh, and the self paced classes into classroom settings. That's mm-hmm. something that we've just started working on and we're working with a handful of schools or a number of schools now in with different implementations of these.
4: And I I just wanted to add to that a little bit as well. So some of the types of courses that we offer in mathematics. So uh, Richard was describing our elementary math curriculum, Beast Academy. So you can think of that as a blended learning solution. Like he said, we've got the books and we have online. Uh, It loosely maps to grades two through five. However, there are definitely, it it works on both ends because you could have a very uh, precocious, bright, motivated first grader that would do just fine in our second, uh, second grade or level two curriculum, and then you also have, uh, because of the challenge and how how rigorous Beast Academy gets, uh, you could definitely have, let's say, a number of sixth graders that could benefit tremendously from uh, taking Beast Academy Level 5 material. In the online school, uh, we have courses in pre-algebra through calculus, the standard sequence that you might expect, but we also teach other courses that schools don't typically offer. Uh, Courses in discrete mathematics, things like number theory, counting and probability. We also have, uh, true to our roots, we have an entire menu of contest preparation courses, starting with uh, the math competitions that would begin in middle school, things like math counts, all the way to Olympiad-level preparation, the the kids that want to reach the mountaintop of math competitions. Uh, And in addition to that, as Richard said, we've got the in-person learning centers, Again, that's mainly focused on grades two through 12, and then we have uh, you know, all of the courses that we teach, Beast Academy, all the courses in the online school, those are, are uh, replicated in a number of ways, but in, delivered with a different in-person implementation in those learning centers, of which we have 10 uh, right now, wow. but then we also uh, are developing a language arts curriculum as well, and we teach language arts in these classes uh, as well.
2: So that's actually a good segue into the next question. Um, I think when we talked uh, earlier, Grace, and a couple months ago, the, the, this idea that, you know, the context of education is changing and we really need to uh, do more than just transfer knowledge between teachers, experts, and, and learners, but how do we get them to actually apply And this idea that you've been talking about in the context of mathematics of problem solving? So, not all of our listeners are math teachers, so let's, let's take this question into that larger realm of, of learning and education. So what would be a good reason why all of our learners, regardless of what the content area is, need to be involved in more problem solving?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And I know Richard will have a, a lot to say about this as well. He actually touched on it a little bit uh, in, in kind of the opening, the opening piece here. But it's, it's the idea that, you know, the world is changing. You know, and and technology is playing a big part in that. And if if you're looking at education, uh, you know, kind of at the at the biggest level possible, you know, like what is what is one of the goals of education? It's to prepare uh, the youth of today to you know take our place in the, in in the world and to confidently run systems, run you know run companies, run institutions, do all the things that are necessary to make the world a great place to live in. And the, the number one skill that the, we can impart to these young people, because the world is becoming increasingly unpredictable, because the pace of change is ever quickening, is to impart them with the skill of problem solving. And in a nutshell, I would just, I would define that as the ability to confidently solve problems and work your way through challenges that you've never seen before, that you haven't been shown a nice, neat, easy path toward a solution. And I think too often, if we're going to bring it right back down to math, uh, it's many, it's too many students' experiences in the math classroom that their idea of math is uh, what I might call a, a cookbook, right? It's a procedure. Hey, here's the, here's the recipe, follow these Steps and you get to the answer. It's either right or wrong. Don't even necessarily bother about why it might be right or wrong. Uh, just know that it is or it isn't, and then move on to the next thing. So you could actually, in in that instance, do very well uh, according to let's say uh, you know test based standards. You could do very well in a math class, but still not ever truly understand math or what's going on, right? And because math is a rules based discipline, we believe in art of problem solving. It's the it's the most efficient way to teach the tenets of problem solving. And uh, yeah,
3: Richard probably has
4: more to say about that. I think
3: just a, a concise way that the importance became clear to me was when we started the Art of Problem Solving website, I got an email from one of my classmates. It was someone that I didn't know at Princeton, but he wrote me this email. That said, uh, I certainly wish your website and materials had existed when I was in high school. I went through junior high and high school without ever missing a question on a test and then took math 103 and 104 at Princeton, which was one of the most unpleasant and bewildering experiences of my life and poisoned me on math for years. And this really brought home to me why I had succeeded at Princeton. Mm-hmm. And this, this, this student struggled so much. It was the training I had in dealing with these uncertain situations. Our universities teach kids very differently than our high schools do because our universities are trying to train the next generation of researchers, the next generation of people who are gonna discover things. And kids, they're in middle school, they're in high school, their teachers may not realize that these sorts of kids, the ones who are getting hundreds on everything, um, they might be some of these teachers' greatest failures, not one of their greatest success stories because these students I saw so many kids go through this at Princeton. Of course, when I'm at 18, I thought I was just smarter than they were, but I realize now that's not at all what was happening because the ones who fought through it in those first couple of years of college, by the end of college, they could do things I could do and some things I couldn't do, but a lot of them quit along the way. And the middle school teachers and the high school teachers, they wanna do well by these kids. If they have this sort of feedback and understand better that they're not really preparing these kids for those challenges, They'll happily adjust. They'll do it because mm-hmm. they care a lot about these kids, but there's not a feedback mechanism. Mm-hmm. There's no way for like this guy's not going back to his middle school and high school teachers and saying, What's up? You didn't prepare me for that. So there's no way for the system to adjust for these kids uh, to, to, and for these teachers to understand that they need to, they need to prepare these kids for a different future than the teachers themselves were prepared for.
1: Mm-hmm. And wouldn't it be great if they did come back and say, this didn't work, Yeah. (laughs) let's rethink this. And oh, by the way, here's a great website. (laughs) Um, But thanks for sharing that story about your your peer. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for sharing the story about your peer. And that's certainly very telling. And um, your site is full of resources. And it's easy to get lost down a rabbit hole as you start looking at some of those items. Are there a couple that you might like to share or highlight for our listeners?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think one of the coolest tools that I'm always so excited to tell other educators about is Alchemist. Uh, it, is a, it is a tool that we've developed. It's an entirely free, and I mean that capital F free. Like We absolutely. were
1: wondering when we were looking at it, we're like, this looks like it's all free.
4: Yeah, no, it, it absolutely is. Um, and it, it's an adaptive online learning system. Uh, basically, what, what we're trying to do there is offer students a customized learning experience. Uh, and so it we, we've since been adding to the Alchemist playbook, uh, adding a number of other, you know, higher level classes and courses that we teach. It started with our introductory series. So, you know, pre-algebra, algebra, intro counting and probability, number theory, geometry, things like this. And basically, you can imagine the experience that you might get. Um, when you take, uh, you know, some of the tests like the GRE or something like that, where it spits out a a problem of a certain difficulty type. And then if you get it right, it's going to challenge you a little bit more. It's going to offer you something a little bit harder. And then if you get it right again and again, right, until it basically figures out where you're at. And the idea here is that Alchemist is doing some of the heavy lifting. It's providing you with these very interesting, rigorous, thought-provoking problems that are going to challenge you. It's, it's, pretty much guaranteed to challenge you based on the way that we just set that up. And then it's going to push you to get a little bit better so that you are, you know, climbing the rungs here and uh, it's going to provide full uh, detailed solutions so that it's actually teaching you as well. And uh, the whole idea is that it's a very robust training tool that, that uh, students can use. And in fact, why I always like to mention this to educators is because, We also have a a separate piece of Alchemist called the, the teacher tools, where as a teacher, you can come on and sign up for a teacher account, and you can enroll as many students as you would like into your alchemist class, I'm doing scare quotes that you can't necessarily see right now, but you can enroll them into your, uh, into your class and then you can track all of their progress. So as an educator, you can see exactly where the pain points are. Okay. Well, you know, it looks like Jessica is really struggling on this. Okay. We're going to focus on this a little bit more. It looks like Tim is uh, struggling on this piece. We can focus on that a little bit more with him. Uh, and, and along you go, uh, we have, I could talk your ear off for another hour. If I told you about all the other resources we have just to quick touch base on and we've got a full library of videos almost all of them are with this guy <laughs> sitting to my left over here um and he, he could probably tell you more about that and we also have i, I would also suggest check out our articles as well on aops news we we've really taken some time to write some very uh you know thought-provoking pieces that really encapsulate a lot of what our discussions are about today, Mm -hmm. the importance of problem solving, the importance of uh, discrete mathematics, the importance of um, challenging yourself and, you know, getting after the concept of productive failure, how it's not a good thing to get everything right all the time.
2: Mm -hmm. So a lot of things resonating with our conversation today. And as we enter the last lap of our conversation, uh, we have a Lightning response questions for each of you to answer. Uh, we started this last season, and it's a great opportunity for our listeners to get uh, some additional resources. Who is one expert that our listeners should connect with to learn more about problem solving and math education?
3: I'd recommend Po Shen Lo. He's the uh, coach of the U.S. International Math Olympiad team. He's also a professor at Carnegie Mellon. He was recently recognized as like one of the uh, like for scientists and mathematicians who made great contributions under the age of 40. Um, he also runs a company called XB, which, through which he is popularizing mathematics, democratizing access to and contributions to uh, math education. And he is just one of the most wonderful, engaging speakers. So if, any, if you ever have a chance, he travels all around the country, all around the world giving talks. In addition to the four jobs he has and raising three children, I don't know when he sleeps. He claims to move 20 miles an hour, include when, including when he's speaking. <laughs> but if you ever have a chance to hear him speak, do what you can to go just listen to him talk, whatever he's talking about. Uh, you'll have a wonderful time.
2: Okay, if you were recommending one book to our listeners, what would it be? Uh, the
3: most, the the most eye-opening one I've read in education recently was by a woman, Ashley Rogers-Burner. I believe she's still at Johns Hopkins. Uh, The book is Pluralism in American Public Education, No One Way to School. And what was really eye-opening to me was seeing just how very different uh, other countries' approaches to education are. And there are things that are done in in other countries that are almost unthinkable here, not only in terms of the system itself uh, and how the classes work, but in how they're funded. And we're not talking about cultures that are very different from America. I'm not talking about, you know, Pakistan or, or, you know, countries that are really far removed from us in terms of their backgrounds. I'm talking about Europe, you know, their approach to what the state is involved in or isn't involved in or how they go about structuring the system, very different from ours. And it's just very eye-opening that there are very different approaches to all of these problems that, you know, we're just kind of not, considering or even allowed to consider in the United States. You sound like a crazy person if you mention them. And yet, there are plenty of other countries that actually do these things. So maybe we should be a little more open-minded in in our approaches to education.
4: OK. And
2: the last question, what online site resource or person do you continue to learn from?
4: All right, so th- this is perhaps cheating, uh, <laughs> and it's definitely a bit of a, of a cop-out answer, but it's, it's honestly true. Uh, For all the reasons that we discussed earlier about the importance of problem solving, I I really do see what we're doing here as being true thought leaders in this space. And uh, I I can't recommend enough because I do use it. I go on Alchemist and I use that as a resource to, to help me learn and get reconnect with math. And it's not only just about knowing more, it's about challenging myself. And I think that is the number one thing that I think if every single person did on a daily basis, that's how you grow. And, and, and truly this, the tool is remarkable. And I I apologize for reiterating it again, but I just wanted to say that, you know, I'm not just, you know, towing the company line here. It truly is a fantastic resource.
2: All right. Well, thanks for all of those resources there and for the follow-up description of those to help our listeners uh, pique their curiosity and decide where they want to pursue those a little bit further. So thank you.
1: So what's next for you and the art of problem solving, Richard and Grayson, what are you working on now that you'd like to share with our listeners?
3: Well, in addition to expanding all of the, all of the work we're doing with Beast Academy, building out the, the learning system for the kids and continuing to build out new models in the online school, we're starting to construct a language arts program um, because we, we see that a lot of the problems that we see in math also exist in writing uh, education, reading and writing education. We also recently hired one of the lead coaches of the U.S. physics team to build out a physics curriculum, and we hope to be adding computer science to the mix as well. Hmm. Um, So these are kind of, we're starting to branch out into different subject areas uh, and bring our same sort of approaches to problem solving into these these other subjects. Absolutely. And for, for my part, it would
4: be just sharing Art of Problem Solving, Beast Academy, and getting this. Uh, this curriculum into school systems, getting, uh, working with private schools, charter schools, public school districts, uh, small, medium, and large. And, you know, not only do we, you know, truly believe in the things that we're creating here, but we know that they make a difference in the lives of so many young students. Uh, We know that from, you know, just from talking with them and their parents and teachers, that it builds their confidence. It builds their perception of self as someone who's a, after taking our courses and, and, and learning with us, Uh, You know, better uh, readers, writers, thinkers, communicators, even. Uh, And the other reason why that's so important to me is because I'm also very, very invested in educational equity. And putting a curriculum like this in front of very young students really empowers them. And when you're able to reach, Uh, you know, 500 students at once by imparting the curriculum into a school rather than just uh, working with, let's say, you know, one student at a time in a, you know, household to household, you can reach so many more students and perhaps reach students that, you know, uh, maybe Art of Problem Solving wasn't on their parents' radar or something like that. So you can actually, you know, really make a difference in the lives of, of many more people.
1: It's been a very interesting conversation to uncover the beauty of math, as you have uh, shared multiple times through multiple lenses. Um, For our listeners to learn more about Richard and Grayson's work, you can check out the Art of Problem Solving website, and we'll put a link there to Alchemist as well. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking reflection and conversation. And this episode's question... How might you use the resources shared today to promote problem solving and transform math education in your learning environment? And if you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for Season 6, Episode 4. That's all for this episode. We'll be back next week with another conversation featuring innovative thought leaders. Thanks again, Richard and Grayson.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having us. Have a great day.
1: Bye-bye. Bye. care.